0: Hello, this is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman of Columbia University, and this is Shrink Speak. Today, we're going to talk about something which unfortunately has become all too topical that has to do with mass violence in America, and specifically the relationship of mental illness to mass violence, and a serious and widespread confusion or uh, unclarity about how to make distinctions as to the motives of the perpetrator. Are individuals who commit mass violent acts, by definition, obscene, heinous, irrational, senseless, crazy? Or is it that only people who have pre-existing mental illnesses that commit mass violent acts that could be considered crazy and motivated by insanity? To address this issue, I have one of the world's experts on mental illness diagnosis and also forensic issues having to do with the relationship of mental illness to any type of criminal activity, Dr. Michael First, professor of psychiatry at Columbia University. Dr. First, in addition to his other credentials, has been one of the leading figures in terms of the formation and development of the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Illness and is really well positioned to address questions and try and clarify this important and really unexplained issue. Now, in full disclosure, the motivation for talking about this today is, one, the fact that these terrible things keep happening in the United States And also that our president has drawn attention to it by really attributing almost all of the responsibility for mass violence to individuals who are mentally ill. And clearly that is not the case. If one looks at the entire series of mass violent events that have occurred over the past however many decades, and they are increasing in frequency, and they are continuing, um, one can classify them by the motivations of perpetrators. And broadly speaking, there are three groups. There are individuals who could be called ideological zealots or terrorists, domestic or foreign. Individuals who are disaffected loaners or disgruntled employees who have a grudge or some kind of revenge to pay. And then there are individuals who may be mentally ill and are impelled by their symptoms to uh, commit these acts. So, to begin, I'd like to ask Dr. First, first, welcome. Thank you for being here. Great to be here. Is everybody who perpetrates a mass violent crime, by definition, mentally ill? Absolutely not. I mean, it's very common for people to use words like crazy
1: or mentally ill when somebody does something that can't be understood. It's completely out of one's understanding. There's a knee-jerk reaction to assume the person's mentally ill, but the vast majority of people who commit crimes are not mentally ill, and they're doing it for, like, for example, when you're talking about your categories, you know, terrorists who commit mass murder, they're not mentally ill at all. They have an ideology, and for them, it's justified to commit mass murder. To us, people who aren't, terrorists and aren't ideologically motivated by that ideology. It seems crazy. It seems senseless and it seems horrible, but those people are, are rarely and almost never mentally ill. They are are just committed to commit violence. And then the second category, people who are vengeful, uh, trying disaffected, wanting, you know, there's lots of, of motivations there. There's been, um, uh, uh, it's becoming pretty clear that some of these disaffected people who feel like they're life is going nowhere. Nobody's ever going to know who they are. The fame that uh, accompanies mass shootings is becoming uh, more and more motivation for people who are disaffected. Here's my chance to finally make a difference in the world in a very negative way. And these people are not normal in the sense that they're socially cut off. And the fact that they would need mass murder as a way to make them feel good about themselves, obviously that's psychologically um, disturbed, but they're not mentally ill and and this head so we use mentally ill mentally ill means that you have a condition that is characterized by severe symptoms and in the case of mass violence the nature of the symptoms it affects your ability to know the difference between right and wrong you might have a delusion that the, the that there's a plot to, to, uh, to get you, and you go and you shoot people up believing that you're actually protecting yourself from this delusion. Those people would, would be a classic case of somebody who's mentally ill committing a crime, because from their perspective, they're doing something that's impelled by their
0: psychiatric symptoms. Or other people with psychotic disorders may have hallucinations which are saying to them, you know, these people are evil, you should kill them, or this person is trying to hurt you, you have to defend yourself. First, a couple points of clarification. Even though we have nice and tidy categories of ideological motivation or disaffected loners or persons with mental illness, there's a lot of overlap. Individuals with who are mentally ill may be more susceptible to the solicitation of radical ideologies and cults or groups that are seeking to proselytize and attract members. And also individuals who are feeling disaffected, slighted, alienated may have certain mental disorders that make them less able to integrate socially and more prone to to feel this way. But with respect to that group, the disaffected, disgruntled individuals, so what you're saying is although they maybe think that by committing these crimes, they're sort of gaining revenge or, you know, repaying these uh, slights. It's also, at the same time, serves their interest for gaining notoriety. Absolutely.
1: That's become a really big problem. And, And what's happened in the last couple of years is the media coverage uh, has changed. They're trying to, in some cases, they won't even mention the name of the killer, and that's a way to try to downplay the amount of fame, so to speak, that these people are getting. Obviously, it's not been great, you know, widely successful because the rates of these mass murders continue, but that is, was a very smart move because it might, it might conceivably address at least part of the motivation for this.
0: So where everybody probably remembers the name Adam Lanza or James Holmes or, or, or Jared Loughner, it's probably very few people who could remember who the last two or three individuals were, in part maybe because there's been so many, but also because of the uh, less media exposure. Absolutely. I mean, what
1: happens, I think that what's one thing about the media exposure, whenever these crimes happen, one of the first questions, of course, that crosses anybody's mind mind is, why did this happen? So there's always at least a little bit of media coverage into the person's background to try to answer that question. The reality, of course, is, you know, these newspaper reports of superficial life histories actually tell you usually very little. But there's always at least a little bit of that because people want to know why did this happen. And they do have the belief that if I know something about this person's background, I can understand perhaps why they did it, though that's actually rarely the case.
0: Well, with suicide, there's the phenomenon which of a contagion effect. With, with mass violence, is there a similar kind of phenomenon? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. I think suicide
1: much more so. The reason there's a contagion effect is people who are struggling with whether or not to commit suicide are like obsessing over whether or not I should do it. And all it might take to push them over the edge is reading about a suicide or reading about somebody who committed suicide that that they identify with. And that may be enough to push them over. Conceivably, that could happen here, uh, that somebody... uh, In fact, if you, I think if I remember the Adam Lanza case, once they went into his house, he was obsessed with newspaper articles about other mass murders. So I'm not sure I'd call that a contagion effect in the the sense that the fact that there are mass murders doesn't get people to do mass murders in the way suicide does. But I think there's probably a little bit. uh, I mean, the big factor, of course, is gun availability. I mean, that whole area of the ease of getting guns uh, is a big factor in, of course, the
0: The uh, rise of mass uh, violence. Right. So, just coming back to the central topic of today's uh, podcast mental illness and violence. So, first, a few points of fact. One is that mental illness advocates will tell you that overall, mentally ill people contribute very little to the totality of criminal violence in the United States and the actual figure of criminal violence that are perpetrated by people with mental illnesses. 4%. But most criminal violence is things that are motivated by robberies or greed or gangs or organized crime or crimes of passion. The reality is even though these things dominate the headlines that a very small amount of the totality of criminal violence is accounted for by these mass violent events. But these are the things that are so shocking that they command the public and the governments and the media's attention. Now, with respect to that, individuals with mental illness are more represented in the perpetration of those crimes. So if it's 4% of all criminal violence, in most studies, an average of these cases are perpetrated by people with mental illness is about 25%. So it's not the majority, but it's certainly more. And in all cases, these are individuals who are untreated or inadequately treated. Also, something that is a very telling statistic is that even though there are numerous forms of mental illness, it's only a small number that are associated with these mass violent behaviors. It's individuals with psychotic disorders, severe mood disorders, potentially PTSD, and also, and this is a controversial point, autism or autistic spectrum disorders, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but the point is is that some individuals with certain disorders, if not treated, are more prone. Now, one last thing. These disorders have a fairly equal distribution or frequency among males and females, yet all of the mass violent incidents are perpetrated by males, so that clearly indicates that it's not the illness itself, it's the illness and secular factors. And what the secular factors now we can only speculate. So the facts say mental illness only accounts for a minority of the mass violent incidents. And even though this is, uh, it contributes to some amount, it is the illness in conjunction with other secular or cultural factors that are accounting for it. Yet in the public's mind, and certainly in the president's mind, people are equating any. Mass violent behavior with mental illness. So, how can we distinguish this? I think
1: it's 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 very important again to understand that just because you don't understand why somebody did something, uh, and that's that's the knee jerk reaction. It, it's horrible. It's ununderstandable. Therefore, it's evidence of mental illness. And they simply don't connect. Mental illness is causes certain kinds of specific impairments in people's judgment, their ability to resist impulses. And, and those people uh, are the, the the group of people who might be mentally ill who commit violence. But the vast majority of people who
0: commit violence do it for another reason. So, the so, so prima facie, if you commit a mass violent crime, you're not crazy. You're not mentally ill. But uh, can people become temporarily insane? I mean, can you just go off half cocked because one, you're, you're, you're trying to advance some kind of ideological mission or because, you know, you can't take any more of the abuse that you're receiving by society or in your workplace? Uh, you know, the, the, the word insane generally means that you
1: lose the ability to know the difference between right and wrong. So that's, a, it's a very technical term. And uh, those people, Uh, Generally, when they become insane, it's because the mental illness that they have, like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, has gotten so severe that it completely clouds their ability to make uh, any judgments. So they would be temporarily insane only in the sense that those illnesses, like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, people who have those illnesses are luckily only really psychotic a tiny percentage of the time of the course of the illness. As far as other types of temporary insanity, drug-induced uh, uh, psychosis, like uh, PCP, angel dust, is known to cause severe psychosis, and there's been a handful of uh, crimes, which are murders that have been committed by people who are so intoxicated with PCP is they don't know the difference between right and wrong. And one of the ways that happens is people who are have PCP intoxication can become delusional, or they could hear voices that could cause them to uh, commit a, a violent uh, a crime, But the idea of temporary insanity, I mean, there is always this, you know, if somebody who is, you can't take it anymore, you know, a, 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 somebody who's a victim of violence and finally comes and goes and uh, revenges themselves. I, again, I wouldn't call that even insane. It's they're doing it for a very specific reason. And in the context of what's going on, it kind of makes sense to them if somebody is fighting back because they're actually persecuted. Uh, ideologically, the idea of using violence to solve a problem, again, people often say, well, that's crazy. That's not the way people should uh, behave. But unfortunately, we have a you know, million-year history of violence as a way of getting across ideological points of view. And I think a, a lot, especially more recently, a lot of these mass murders are really motivated by uh, ideology, which from those people's perspective, they are justified for what they're doing.
0: It's it's terrorism the same way that terrorism is used by revolutionaries in countries to, you know, effect a change in governments exactly. So let's try and come at this from a different way and see if this helps to make the distinction more effectively. If we talk about it in the standpoint of okay, we have these perpetrator groups that are doing these things, and the fact that guns are so available is not helping and making them you know more lethal as opposed to you know, one or two people being stabbed or injured. If we then said, okay, well, we're going to treat these, we're going to eliminate the cause of the motivation in, with individuals who are mentally ill, who have psychotic disorders, who have mood disorders, who may suffer from PTSD, and they're receiving effective treatment which reduces or alleviates their delusions or hallucinations or their mood reactivity, then presumably they would be less inclined to engage in this behavior. Absolutely. That, that's the, the justification for the, the,
1: the connection between more treatment for mental illness and reduction in violence is it would reduce that tiny, the small percentage of people with mental illness who do act out. They're doing it when they're floridly symptomatic. If somebody with a mental illness is not symptomatic, they're at
0: no increased risk of uh, committing a crime or, or, or mass murder. There's a wonderful quote in Ellen Sachs's book, The Center Cannot Hold, where she says, Ellen Sachs, for those that haven't heard of her, is a brilliant attorney who's an emeritus professor at the University of Southern California School of Law, a MacArthur Genius Award winner and a Marshall Scholar who suffers from schizophrenia. And she said in her book that schizophrenia and psychosis is like a rheostat, it's not like an on-off switch and at its low level you may have symptoms with voices or you know bizarre thoughts in the background but they're not really distracting or bothersome but at the uh, other extreme they become your full reality, and you are impelled to behave based on what you're you're experiencing in those symptoms. So it's when people are at the full force, or experiencing the full force of their psychotic symptoms, they're more prone to do it, and if you reduce that with treatment, then it would be diminished or or prevented. If we apply that approach then to the other motivations, uh, how does it work? So disaffected loners, ideological zealots, well, that's not so easy, is it? Unfortunately, uh,
1: those are not easily treatable. And that's where you, the whole issue of guns. If, if, if There's lots of disaffected loaders in other parts of the world, and there's rarely mass violence. And it's partly as simple as the inaccessibility of guns and the ability to commit these mass murders, that's probably the best uh, effective treatment for those people with respect to preventing uh, the violence. But from a a treatment perspective, it's very hard to get somebody who's been disaffected their whole life and, and socially alienated to easily fix that problem.
0: So just for the record, guns are a multiplier effect for the lethality of mass violent behaviors for those mass violent incidents that are perpetrated by people with mental illness, there is a solution. And that solution is treatment. And it's the fact that treatment is not available in this country for people, and they're not able to get access to it, receive it, is really the root cause of the problem. And building mental institutions, asylums again, although there may be some value in some of those to some degree, it's not going to solve the mass violence problem and is completely irrelevant or just peripheral to it. Absolutely. So to sum up, clearly there is some potential for individuals with mental illness. They have specific diagnoses to become violent and possibly even violent in an extreme way, like mass violence, under the right circumstances. But this is a minority of the overall... Number of mass violent incidents. The other causes have to do with ideological motivations and individuals who have a grudge against society or are disgruntled over various slights and circumstances. As we pointed out, there is a clear treatment for the cause of this being mental illness, and it's providing treatment which should be happening in the first place. So this is a preventable problem. And the fact that we're not providing it, but we just keep talking about background checks is really, I think, glossing over the root cause of the problem. The other thing is that building hospitals, while they may be good in some ways, is not going to solve this problem. So it's a complete red herring. And then finally, the reason why, not that these keep recurring repeatedly, but because the lethality is so much greater than in other countries, is because of the availability of guns. You have, in other countries, people who are untreated with mental illness, who do do things, but it's stabbing someone with a knife, hitting them with a hammer, using some other instrument to affect aggression. In the United States, they have access to guns, which means more people get hurt and more people die. And right now, just knowing as much as we do now, we could stop at least 25 percent, if not more, by treating people with mental illness. And if we restricted access to guns, a whole lot more. So I want to thank Dr. First for coming on and uh, trying to clarify this distinction for us. I know it's hard. Uh, Crazy is an adjective. It's not a diagnosis. But it's used that way in the media and by some people who are not in the know. This is something that I think should be kept in mind going forward uh, as we try and assess this social pathology that continues to afflict us. Michael, thank you for a fascinating discussion. I'm going to pause our discussion now for a moment. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, Columbia University, and this has been Shrink Speak.